Welcome to Murder in the Black. Y'all should be so happy. This is your host, Steph. First of all, let me say who I am. But before we we let the other host say something, I am not MD-less today. I have MD with me. Hey! So go ahead, MD. Like, you know... <laughs> I'm your host, MD, and I'm so excited to be back in the new year yes. and discussing what I think is a very interesting show for us today. Yes, 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 yes. So we're going to be discussing Steve McNair. Steve Air McNair. Air McNair. Yeah, he's a football player, and there's a lot of mystery surrounding his death. So even if you're not a sports fan, I think that you'll find this case to be quite intriguing. Yes, and definitely, like, I know, MD, you you like sports, but, I mean, I'm not that much of a sports yeah, fan. Yeah, you weren't. I was. A, I love sports, actually, and it's funny because I'm the middle child. Steph, right. Steph is the, the baby. My brother is the oldest, and my brother, I wanted to be just like, I idolized him growing up, right. and I wanted to be just like him. He loves sports, and so that was kind of my way of... Like, you know, bonding with him. And I kind of ended up falling in love with it. You, on the other hand, was just like, screw that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my brother was such a sports fan. He was a fanatic. Yes. So, like, I just was like, oh. But this particular case, so if you're not a sports fan, you will still find this very, very interesting. And we're actually bringing our brother on. Yes. I'm so excited. So, yeah. It's a family affair today. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we before we get into bringing um, our brother to you and introducing him to you, we want to kind of make sure we, we, we stay with our tradition. So, Steph, can you explain to us what you title this case? What's the title of this case? Yes. This case is Country Strong, Mississippi Tough. All right. Country strong. And you know, if you know anything about Steve McNair, which you will get to know about him in this in this episode, he was tough. Yeah. And so like he was he was tough not only in his physical ability, but even mentally. He just was one of those guys that showed up despite injury, despite all circumstances. Like when it came to his craft, his skill of being a football player, he was arguably one of the best to ever do it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, let's go ahead and get into the yeah, story so time. and grab your wine if it's the evening. Um, It's the evening, so we don't <laughs> grab this wine. And either way, let's get into it. <laughs> Stephanie, your sisters, and we actually brought our brother on. We have Jamal here with us, and he is going to kind of give us the background on who Steve McNair was. And the reason we wanted to bring him on the show is because he's an expert in all things sports. Yes. So he has a photographic memory, as my parents like to say. And at a young age, Jamal just kind of fell in love with sports and he has become a master of that. And we would love for you to check out his podcast soon too. Jamal, kind of tell us about your podcast that you're putting together. So I'm putting together, well, thank you for having me first. It's a it's a very uh, special moment to kind of be on your guy, you guys' podcast. I think it's a, you guys are doing a great job. Um, <clears throat> my podcast that I'm trying to build is, is really going to be around the narrative of, of college football. And my viewpoint, my vantage point, of course, I'm a fan of <clears throat> the Big Ten champion Michigan Wolverines. And uh, I kind of, you know, give, give some viewpoint and vantage point of Michigan, but also kind of talk about the overall narrative. But 
But that's enough about me, you guys. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about Steve McNair. What do you guys want to know? How do you guys want to <clears throat> kind of touch on? How do you want me to do this? You want me to kind of touch yes. on who he was? Kind of the landscape of what was taking place? Yes. Like, we want to touch okay. on him in college. Um, you know, that whole Heisman situation. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just college football. Just what you know about him. And maybe some facts that are... <clears throat> not known to a person who's a sports fan sure so steve mcnair is 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 a very special uh part of nfl history um and he's also a very uh special part of the college football narrative exclusively around the african-american quarterback Mm. Um, it's a position that is easily highly you know regarded as a smart position someone that has to be smart someone that has to be gritty gutty somebody that has to have moxie all mm. these different words you know describe a quarterback and oftentimes for the most part that was you know joe theisman that was broadway broadway joe out in, you know who said he was going to win the you know the the, the the super bowl that was our father's favorite player johnny unitas who mm. played for the colts right uh and it, often those were images of white men and mm. <clears throat> what's so special about Steve McNair is that he created a narrative that's different for the future and what we now see in our present around the African-American quarterback. Steve McNair plays a very significant role. We'll start it out. He's he's a kid from Mississippi. Um, Like most most kids from Mississippi, I shout out to a good friend of mine who's from Mississippi, Carlton Maxwell. Uh, Carlton's from Vicksburg, Mississippi, and I went to Fisk University together. And so I have a glimpse of who he is through someone that followed him in in his heyday, Mm. right? Steve McNair was special right off the gate. His nickname was Air McNair, and his nickname was Air McNair because he could throw it. He could Mm. throw it, but with the beauty of who he was in, um, in, in college football for black schools because he went to Alcorn State State, which was the only school that gave him a chance to be a quarterback I mean he you're right I mean you guys were asking me well you know who was he I mean he, this guy could have gone anywhere right yeah mm-hmm. he probably could have gone to Ole Miss or Mississippi State that would have been controversial in nature just you know for many black kids going to those those in-state schools is never fun uh, for some because they have of course a negative connotation in many ways Right. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, Steve McNair could have gone anywhere in the country. He was that good of an athlete, but he specifically wanted to be able to toss the rock. And the only place they gave him that opportunity was Alcorn State. His nickname was Air McNair. He threw the ball. He threw the ball and broke all kinds of records, national records around throwing the ball for yardage, touchdowns in a year touchdowns in his you know during his four-year reign I mean he was a he was an absolute stud he um he threw the ball but he was most special because he often was great in in the the last moments of the game Mm. bringing his team back is where he really stamped his approval as this guy's an all-time great you know not only in college football but that was also his hallmark in, in in calling card as a pro so in 1995, he's the third round. He's the third draft pick in the first round by the then Houston Oilers. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, you and I, 
you, you know, you, you, you three, us three, rather, we grew up in the great city of Dallas, Texas. We only follow one team, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Houston yes. was just another team as far as we can, was concerned. But, um, you know, historically speaking, the Houston Oilers is a great franchise. And they feature one of the all-time great Texans in uh, Earl Campbell. He's mm-hmm. one of the all-time great Texans. Of course, my year, your husband being from Tyler, you know Earl Campbell, the Yellow Rose. He's a stud. I mean, that's he's remembered in Tyler by everyone. I mean, mm-hmm. Earl Campbell especially. He's not only known for links, but he's known as a great football player, right? And uh, his, his professional career took place in Houston. Well, the beauty of Steve McNair's position at the time being the third pick for the Houston Oilers, he was ended up replacing a black quarterback, Warren Moon, right? Mm-hmm. Warren Moon had came and gone and they were trying to find its footing as a franchise. So they took Steve McNair. Steve McNair was great in the fact that Houston picked up and left and created a new identity and finally settled in in Nashville, mm-hmm. right? They settled in in Nashville. They stayed in Memphis for a year. Then they went to Nashville. They settled in Nashville. And they settled in Nashville right as the Nashville, the Tennessee Titans were beginning to find momentum. So they drafted Steve McNair a couple of years before. They had drafted the great Ohio State running back, Eddie George. Mm. Right? So Eddie George, he had the majority of his career there in Nashville, right? For, for the Tennessee Titans. I actually met Eddie George in 2003 the year I you know the year before I graduated 2004 mm-hmm. and had a chance to tell him to his face that my Michigan Wolverines were going to be a high state baby. it was a great moment great moment great moment but back to Steve McNair so Steve mm-hmm. McNair was a guy he was an African American quarterback mm-hmm. who was starting in a new football city for a franchise that was basically creating a new identity. They picked up and left Houston. Hmm. Right? They left one of the top five cities in America. Right. They picked up and left. And left Houston, Texans high and dry. <laughs> I mean, seriously, they, they left Houston fans high and dry. A lot of people, you know, and I'm not throwing a shot at Houston, you know. Right, right. You know, but I mean, they left it. Their team picked up on left one. You know what I'm saying? And put them in a controversial state. You got some people in Houston, oh, I'm a Titans fan. Oh, I'm a Texans fan. And hey, you got to respect both of them. Right. You know, but Steve McNair was a workhorse. Mm. He was built like a modern day, like, I mean, you know, Greek God. This mm. guy was strong. He was, he was big and strong, and he was known for being a consistent starter and being there for his team, even if he was injured. He mm. had knee problems, leg problems, arm problems, shoulder problems. He was out there fighting for his teams. He wanted to be a leader, and that's the way he wanted to lead. That's the only way he knew how to lead, mm-hmm. right? So that's what he became known for. He ended up becoming uh, an NFL, NFL MVP, the highest honor you can have as a player for on-field performance. And he wow. shared it with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning also had a very good year that year, but it was no denying that what, you know, what the great Steve McNair had accomplished mm-hmm. was, you know, was great. 
and he is in many ways the foundation of toughness that that franchise is built upon right that you know the, the Tennessee Titans you know of course I'm still you know tied to the Titans in many ways mm-hmm. uh, you know I have friends that still live in Nashville that follow the Titans and I go to see them play when I'm in Nashville uh, and you know I like to see the Titans do well because it reminds me of great moments of being in Nashville you know, mm-hmm. and and if you follow the Titans, it's always built around toughness, right? You know, you know their defense is stout. You know, they're they're stopping the run. They're you know, and they're overall a great defensive team. And the identity of their of their head coach is toughness, right? Mike Vabrell is, is a guy from Ohio State, coached at New England, and is now you know coaching the Titans. And they're known for being a tough, blue collar, you know, get it at the nubs type of team. Mm-hmm. And that's something that that I believe that it was easy for them to build upon because of someone like Stephen Smith that led them all the way to the Super Bowl and they were just an inch away mm. from, 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 from potentially tying that game. And they just couldn't make it, didn't have enough time. So mm. Steve McNair is is a very intricate player, would go on to have major influence on players like Vince Young, mm. uh, will go on to have uh, major influence for pretty much anybody that came after him. Vince Young was probably the most immediate name that can, that comes to mind because Vince, you know, professed it himself how much Steve McNair meant to him and the evolution of what what he became. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Vince Young was, you know, in many ways the the face of of football for many young Texans. And I'm sure someone like Kyler Murray, you know, had to remember the great game that Vince Young had. And now you look at a player like Kyler Murray, from, who's from the DFW Metro play. Mm-hmm. He's never lost in high school. He went on to win a Heisman. And as a pro, he's never lost at the Dallas Cowboys home, home stadium. As yeah. a pro, he's never lost. I mean, you see someone like him, I would say you would never see someone like Kyler Murray if you, you know, if you if you didn't get a chance to see Steve McNair. Steve McNair laid the groundwork for someone like you see it from Vince Young all the way to Kyler Murray, pretty much anybody in between. Yeah. Very so, special class. Thank you so much for that. I mean, it's so informative. I, I know I definitely learned more um, just, you know, hearing what you had to say about Steve McNair. What, you know, our podcast is centered around um, the black community covering our black crimes but what do you think about black people i know since Deion sanders is now at jackson state university and trying mm-hmm. to recruit a lot of more black athletes to come to hbcus and you being from an hb a graduate from fisk university mm-hmm. and knowing a lot about sports what do you think do you mm-hmm. think that's a good thing to do yes no i think it's an avenue right i think what <clears throat> so in many ways, and this is, these are the kind of topics I'll be covering on my podcast, but in many ways, I think what we've seen in the evolution of the college football athlete or the college athlete, the student athlete of today that competes at these D1 institutions and even at HBCUs who compete on the highest level as well, mm-hmm. it's easy to sell the HBCU experience based upon what we as African-Americans are experiencing today, Mm -hmm. right? To be amongst your people and to create a culture amongst your people 
in a world where everybody is pretty much leaning on one another, but they, in many ways, the African-American, our culture is still being created in many ways, right? We don't, you know, we're not from Africa. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you and I, we were born in Dallas. Right. Right? So I think it's great to see Jackson State and Deion Sanders present an opportunity for a kid to cash in on his name, image, and likeness mm. at Jackson State. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Why not go to Howard? Why not go to Jackson State? Why not go to PV? Why not go to you know the the HBCU experience is great right. and helps nourish and nurture people that need that sense of pride that oftentimes we don't get if we don't get you know if we don't get that type of experience. It's not yeah. for everyone, mm-hmm. but it is for some. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jamal, for joining us and giving us that that great introduction to Steve McNair. And we're going to transition into what ultimately happened to Steve McNair in Nashville, Tennessee. So thanks so so much, Jamal. And y'all be looking out for his podcast. We will pub it as soon as he drops it. Thanks, Jamal. Have a good one, guys. Enjoy. you know a little bit more about who Steve McNair is, let's talk about the mystery that surrounds his death. So first, Steph, if you could just kind of tell us, like, what was the timeline of, you know, Steve McNair's, you know, of the all the events that unfolded leading up to Steve McNair's murder? Okay, so first, I'm just, I just want to tell you guys that Steve McNair was actually married to Michelle. And they got married in 1997. Now, that's important because Steve McNair was out here in these streets. Yeah, he was. He was. He was. He, was he living, belonged to the streets. He lately. was living his best life. You know, and so that's important. Tuck that underneath your hat. I want to go ahead and say he had two children with Michelle, but he actually had two other children prior to getting married to Michelle. So that's just a little bit of tidbit of just some extra information. But on July 4th, 2009, um... Steve McNair was found dead from multiple gunshot wounds along with the body of a 21-year-old. Now, her name is kind of hard to pronounce, but I'm going to try, and then we're going to just dub her Jenny because that was her nickname. That's what everybody called her. I, right. I'm not. I'm going to jump in okay. and not allow Steph to, to completely mutilate Butcher her, her name. name. Okay. Her name was Sahel Jenny Kazami. And so all her friends and those close to her called her Jenny. So we'll call her Jenny. But if you are just like me and Steph, you're going to go Google this. You're probably going to want to see who she was. Look mm-hmm. at pictures, right? So her name was Sahel, S-A-H-E-L, Kazemi, K-A-Z-E-M-I. All right? All right, perfect. I mean, you said that like it was easy. So maybe it's me. <laughs> maybe I'm the one who's struggling. Well, I okay. practiced. I practiced. <laughs> Okay, now, he was, so Jenny was found as well, and she had a gunshot to her temple. But let's kind of talk about their relationship just very briefly, and then I'll tell you how he ended up murdered. So, actually, that day, they had exchanged some text messages, and one of the texts, um, you know, MD revealed to me, it's kind of funny how you, you find out different information as you research and uh, they actually exchanged a text message and 
Jenny actually had plans that day to go and meet with one of her best friends. They had just kind of got back into a place where they were on good terms and her best friend canceled those plans. So her and uh, Steve were texting back and forth. And so Jenny asked him, hey, do you want to grab some drinks tonight? He opted out because he was trying to put his kids to bed. So he ended up putting his kids to bed around 11 p.m. And when I read that, I was like, dang, that's that's late. That's late. For I mean, babies. man, for some little babies. Yeah. I mean, they weren't little, little, but yeah, know, they were, they're but, not, they're not, you know, middle school. Right. You know, yeah. But. They were school age. Um, so they then exchanged, like throughout the day, they had exchanged some text messages. She asked him if he loved her. He said, yes. And then she actually mentioned to him that she was struggling with some bills and she needed some money. So, you know, being the sugar daddy that he was, he went ahead and, uh, you know, gave her some coins, gave her $2,000 to be exact. And he put the kids to bed at 11 p.m. And he texted her and said he was on the way to the condo. And when he got there, we don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that Steve McNair was shot twice um, in his body and in his head. So total of four times. Four times. And they suspect that after she shot him, because they believe that Jenny shot him, and she came and sat down on the couch next to him and shot herself in the temple. And so her body slumped across his. And so... And fell um, on the floor. And fell on the floor. And then at that point, his friends, Robert Gaddy and Wayne Neely, discovered the bodies. And it was a 9 millimeter gun that right. was used um, in, in, in the killing. Yeah. So, so there are, you know, th- so that is the bare facts of this case. And, and if it was as open and shut as the detectives would like us to believe, then that's all you need to know. And we could end the podcast right here, but it's not. So there are four theories as to what happened to Steve McNair. And we're going to dissect those theories for you here today. So we're going to, me, Steph and I are going to take, take each theory. And then at the end, we want you to decide for yourself. Of course, we'll give you our opinion and let you know what we think, but we want you to figure, you know, you to let us know what you think. So the first theory is what the detectives believe and what is commonly known. It's a murder suicide. So it's kind of what Steph set up for you. Now, you know, Jenny and Steve McNair, they were in this this hot, illustrious affair, and they were having the time of their life. And honestly, Steve was not trying to be, like, on the down low or secretive about this. They vacationed together, um, you know, in Florida, Vegas. He bought her a, um, a Cadillac Escalade and put a down payment on it. Now, he put it in her name and she was required to pay the $800, you know, bill, a monthly bill. Um, but he, you know, he helped her whenever he needed, she needed money, you know, she, she hit him up and he transferred the funds. Um, now the reason why they believe that this was a murder suicide is because they believe that, that Jenny found out that Steve was dating another woman. Now we know she knew he was married to Michelle, but she was she was led to believe, according to the detectives, that he was going to leave his wife, and that she was they were going to spend their life together. They were going to, you know, he was going to leave her, leave his wife for her, and they were going to get their life started. But in the you know weeks leading up to this, you know, July the fourth, the the murder suicide, 
Jenny found out that there was another woman. She saw another woman leaving the apartment. And she, according to some, um, according to the police, actually, the other woman, she actually testified that, um, that she believed that Jenny was following her home from the condo one day. Now, this condo, I can't remember if we, we told you, this condo was Steve McNair's bachelor pad. It was in his friend's name. He had asked one of his close friends to, to, to you know, put it in his name, to lease it in his name. But Steve McNair paid for the monthly bill. And so this is where he would go to bring all of his women that he was dating. Sneaky link. Yeah, sneaky. And not only <laughs> him, but even other titans were believed to wow. have brought their mistresses here. Wow. And um, because this was, this where the condo was, it was really close to the actual Tennessee stadium. Titans stadium. Okay. And so this was like a common, you know, it was the common bachelor pad. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Jenny had a key. And she saw this other girl leaving, and she, the, the other girl said, I saw a Cadillac, a black Cadillac Escalade trailing me home one day wow. and circling my apartment complex. So we don't know if that was Jenny, but she believed that it was. And so this, this is one of the things that led the police to believe that this is Jenny's escalation of, I'm going to get the ultimate revenge. Right. And he's only going to be with me. The angry mistress. Right, the angry mistress. So she found that. And then a couple of days before, I think a week to be exact, she found some used condoms in the trash can at the condom. So, you know, she's thinking, okay, he's cheating on me, which is ironic in and of itself. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Okay. He's cheating on me. And um, then also she was struggling financially, according to the police. So, you know, keep in mind, this is a 20-year-old, you know, woman okay she doesn't have a high school degree she didn't mm-hmm. graduate but she was very smart she spoke three languages wow a little bit about jenny is that she uh, was a refugee from iran okay um and uh she you know moved to tennessee to follow her boy at that time boyfriend who was trying to be a rapper child okay yeah girl. you are the girl yeah she was 19 girl, years old legs, yes. but she became a waitress so while she was there she you know she became a waitress at dave and busters which is where her and Steve being there. Okay. And so she, of course, was not with her boyfriend at that time. Mm-hmm. But she was struggling because when he bought her this Escalade, she had to pay the $800 monthly bill. Well, then her roommate, which was her best friend, left mm-hmm. and she had, was stuck with the $900 monthly rent Ooh. by herself. Then on top of that, when Steve McNair gave her the Escalade, she gave her best friend her Kia. And said, hey, can you pick up the payments? Well, her best friend was like, no. Like, girl, I can't. I can't. Girl, I can't pay this. So this is why she fell out with this particular this is best why friend. why she fell out with okay. the best friend. Okay. And so she was stuck. So she had all these, you know, financial responsibilities that she was not able to meet mm. on her waitress salary or waitress, you know, It was in over her head. Just in over her head. And so uh, this is what the police believe led her to. Now, the final straw, which is what the police believe, put the nail in the coffin that caused her to just say, enough is enough, I want to end it all, 
was that she was arrested for a DUI. Right. Like, I think about two weeks before she ended up, you know, killing, you know, they say killing McNair and herself. Okay. She, McNair was actually in the car, him and another friend, Mm -hmm. and she was pulled over for this DUI, and McNair ended up bailing her out, but Mm -hmm. they were saying that, you know, her life was just spiraling. Mm -hmm. And on July the 3rd, she was, you know, waitressing at, um... Dave and Buster's and she told her boss you know you know my life is this is a quote my life is shit and I'm going to end it wow and so this quote was shared with to the police from the um from the best friend and so it all the sir all the you know evidence points to you know her just saying forget it she was actually con- you know um carrying on some sort of a relationship with this guy named Adrian Gilliam mm-hmm. who we're going to get into later into you know our theories but this guy sold her um he says that he sold her a, the nine millimeter gun mm-hmm. and she gave she bought it for a hundred dollars on July the 3rd right before she went into her shift at Dave and Buster's and they believe that she took that gun invited Steve to the condo on July the 4th and while Steve was actually sleeping on the couch mm-hmm. she believed they the police believed that she shot her he shot she shot him mm-hmm. and then shot herself wow and so that's that's the I mean I mean it sounds everything sounds legit yeah for sure great. I mean can we poke some holes in this though I think we can okay, I think we can let's poke some holes <laughs> what do you think about her let's start with her you know being so distraught that he was cheating do you think that this would call like the evidence mm-hmm. that you've learned mm-hmm. about this case do you think that this is is legit do you think think when it comes to Jenny and her relationship with Steve McNair because Steve was 36 years old right and Jenny was 20 and I think of myself when I was 20 and it's easy to like just be fascinated by men with power especially NFL players absolutely like she would literally like tell her friends hey girl you want to go shopping like and then and then you know text Steve and ask for money for a bill Right. But she would actually go and buy purses and take her friends on shopping sprees. So, I don't know. Like, I'm hard-pressed to believe that she was so jealous because of other women that may have been in his life that she killed him because of that. Because, yeah, I definitely think she yeah. probably was jealous. I think yeah. she was probably angry. And I definitely think she was hurt behind it. Yeah. But driven to the point of suicide, I, you know, murder-suicide, I don't know... If I'm completely sold on that, right. because you know her friends, the way that they told that story, mm-hmm. you know, was like, you know, she used him as a sugar daddy. Mm-hmm. But not only that, Jenny was actually talking back to her ex boyfriend, the boyfriend that she traveled to Tennessee to, to, you know, travel, you know, move to Tennessee with the she one was, who wanted to be a rap, the one that wanted to yeah. be a rapper. She, they were back, they had back reconnected, mm-hmm. and she was talking to, to this this other guy, Adrian Gilliam. Yes. They had exchanged several phone calls, 200 total, uh, in the weeks leading up to this death. So, I mean, it didn't appear to me that she was Mm -hmm. so hard-pressed that she, you know... Mm -hmm. Kind of just like, I understand. I might get jealous, but I understand what we're doing here. Right. And then it also makes... I think I'm also, like, kind of, like, a little skeptical about it because it leads us to our second point of what you think about the financial difficulties because that's the the detective's other theory is that she was in over her head financially Mm -hmm. 
But she was using McNair as her cash cow. Right. So she would say, I need $2,000. And he was like, he okay. did it. I mean, he literally did it that day. I mean, because $2,000 to him is it's a drop in the bucket. It is $20 to him. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh, $20, $2,000. Right. No big deal. Right. So was she broke? Yes. Mm-hmm. But what 19, 20 year old do you is know it? isn't really broke? I mean, I, <laughs> I was paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I was still in college mm-hmm. at 20 and I definitely didn't have lots of money and I didn't know what it meant to, you know, always have money to pay my my rent every month. Right. So, I mean, it, it's totally understandable that she even would say something like, how many times have we said, like, man, I'm just ready to end it, bro. Like, this is too much. And to that point, Steph, her friend came on the podcast that talked about, you know, just steeping their life. Mm-hmm. And she said that while Jenny did make that quote, it mm-hmm. wasn't the way the detectives took it. Mm. She did not say it all in one, you know, breath. She mm-hmm. was saying, like, you know, I'm stressed, all this, you know, I can't, my money situation. And then the friend said, well, how's the situation with Steve McNair? Mm-hmm. Is he cheating? It's like, yeah, he is. I think I'm just going to end it. Meaning I'm going to end, end this the relationship, relationship. not necessarily her life. So like right. the friend took it in context to believe she was saying, I'm going to end the relationship mm-hmm. with McNair, not I'm going to end my life. Hmm. So context that, is important. Oh, context is everything. I mean, and then the last one, yeah, Steph, yeah, yeah, is the arrested DUI. Now they yeah. actually have this video. If you go search on Google, you actually can pull up her DUI video and watch it and watch it. And she's laughing and joking the whole time. Now I, you know, I, I'm gonna tell you. Mm-hmm. If you're drunk, you do say and do things that probably are not typical. Mm-hmm. But she was really, like, laid back about the situation. She mm-hmm. just kind of felt like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I not say we don't know. The one thing that I do think is, like, we can't be for sure where her mindset was at the time that she supposedly, you know, if she did kill Steve McNair and mm-hmm. then shot herself. We don't know. I mean, you can make the decision to kill yourself in a second. I, I don't know the actual statistic, but I do know right. it's something like, you know, very short notice. Mm-hmm. It's not like you need to prep the whole day. Right, like what we would think of sometimes suicide to be. Like, you think, oh, okay, the person just plans it out. They've been feeling depressed. I mean, and that could be the case, that but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't. But another th- another statistic, and I don't know that, we probably should have had these statistics for mm-hmm. you, but Steph, didn't you tell me something about most women, if they do decide to kill themselves, yeah. yeah. So I actually did pull down the not the actual figure as far as the numbers, but how women commit suicide. Like right. there's a way that most women, on average, commit suicide versus men. So men are very violent; they commit very violent suicides, and the number one cause for men is actually firearms. Mm. And then it's hanging, asphyxiation, or suffocation jumping or you know vehicle exhaustion that type of thing those are for men for men okay and then for women we choose to do something that's less violent if that makes sense comparatively it actually makes a lot of sense yeah like i I think that just taps into the nature of women right right so for women it's self-poisoning okay um, exsanguiation which just means you're bleeding out so you cut yourself okay um and drowning and then hanging, and lastly, firearms. Wow. 
Now, I mean, one of the things, like when when people have poked holes in this particular theory, is one of the their their arguments is, you know, Jenny never had used a gun before. Like she didn't know how to use a firearm. Mm-hmm. She was and and if you research. You know, uh, Steph told you that Steve McNair was shot four times, twice in the head. And it's like, you know, perfect shots to kill. Like, I mean, it's like, and they were distant shots. They weren't like up close, like straight going to the head. They were, so you have to be somewhat of a good, like, aimsman Mm -hmm. to be able to, like, shoot the way that it would, you know, he was shot. shot. Yeah. And so that's one of the holes that people have suggested doesn't add up is that somebody who, didn't really ever use a firearm, never used a firearm, mm-hmm. and then used it for the first time and was able to get four kill shots in because according to the detectives, all shots could have killed him. Mm-hmm. And so that's, and and they were all distant shots, I think is just really kind of remarkable. Yeah. You know, if not unbelievable. Right. I mean, I'm just, we just saying, we just giving y'all what <laughs> the information we got. Right. It's a saying. little remarkable. But that's, so that's the first thing. Right. You right. Know, is that Jenny did it. And that's the most common theory. That's, that's what, that's what is on mm-hmm. the death certificate. That is what is in the books and mm-hmm. in, in terms of how he died. So let me ask you a question. Was Jenny when, I know a lot of people say when it comes to Steve McNair, they just can't believe that she shot him because she was just so little. They do say that. But I think, was there any, like, gunpowder residue found on her hands? There was zero gunpowder residue found Okay, so... Here's what's really crazy. Wow, okay, yeah. There was gunpowder residue found on him. Mmm. Which is not bizarre. Right, that's not too crazy. If you get, if you're shot, there may be sometimes some transfer, according to science, that, you know, crime science says that, that that's not Unusual. Unusual. But what is unusual is that if she shot him four times and then shot herself, for her to not have any, zero, like zero, not, not even a chance. <laughs> mm. So that is unusual. Yeah. So I don't even think for, for us, it's like, okay, I don't necessarily think her being small and maybe she didn't know, but I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to figure out how to shoot. And maybe you I just got good aim. Right. But maybe for you, you to just have... were a natural at shooting. Right. That's possible. I didn't like the whole, like, I, there is, to your point, mm-hmm. the argument that she was too small. Mm-hmm. I don't, that, I don't know, that never really resonated with me. Because yeah. I'm like, I mean, well, so what you're small? Like, you, you're shooting. That's why you <laughs> shot. You didn't use a knife and hold him down. Right. That would have been unbelievable. Right. I would have paid more attention to her size if that actually happened. Right. But if he was asleep on the couch, like the detective suggests, like if she shot him from the back, then, I mean, so what? Mm-hmm. She was smaller than him. Right. You that know? that wouldn't matter. It would, but her size doesn't, for me, play into Right. To but her having zero gunpowder residue. That's strange. That's bizarre. And how quickly did the police put this investigation to bed? Oh my gosh, I think it was like less than a week. Uh, that's like days. Being an attorney, you know, do you know anything about like how quickly cases? Is that unusual? I, you know, I don't have the apps, you know, exact data, and I'm not going to, you know, quote that. Right. But what I will say is that usually when it comes to murder investigations, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot more that goes into it. I mean, you got to do the autopsy alone takes like a couple of days, Mm -hmm. you know, so for, for, you know, them to have wrapped this up within three to four days, 
and have all, you know, have made a conclusion on what they believed it was, that is highly unusual. Mm -hmm. And it just points to one, either A, they really believed that all the evidence pointed to that there was zero evidence that pointed to anything Anyone other than else. yeah and or b they just didn't investigate well i mean i don't i'm not trying to say that they did it mm-hmm. i'm just saying you know it's either one of those things occurred okay. so so let's move on to the second theory which involves this guy that she exchanged over 200 calls with what's what's, what's his name again adrian gillian Adrian Gilliam. Okay, so Adrian Gilliam, they had some type of relationship because, I mean, you don't just call people 200. (laughs) He was definitely pursuing a relationship relationship with her. And it was known, you know, through the investigation that he actually did like her. There was some interest shown on his part. And he's actually the one who sold her this gun. And according to the police, when they interviewed this man... He said that um, he, she asked him for it, and so he gave it to her, and I believe it was like $100. Yeah, she paid him five $20 bills. Wow. <laughs> is the way that, that the research said. Yeah, so um, that's kind of like where, it, where the police end their investigation. They're like, okay, you sold her this gun. This is obviously illegal. Um, y'all shared over 200 calls. You might have liked her, but you're not a suspect. We believe they said he was never a suspect. He was they a- never <laughs> like I thought that that was amazing. They said never a suspect because there was no evidence at the crime scene to suggest that he was involved. And I just, you know, I find it amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, because that's the theory. There's really not much more to that. Um, you know, he he says he he gave her the gun on July the third. Right before she went into her shift, although um, nobody saw her with this gun, there was nowhere to put the gun where people and would not have seen it. She didn't have a purse. Yeah. Okay. I, where did this gun, where go? Did the gun go? And one of the things that we we discovered doing research is that this apron that they use at Dave and Buster's is actually quite thin. Like they're not try- they were not trying to spend any money. On them aprons. <laughs> Amazon. Okay. They have very, so if you put anything in there, like your wallet, your purse, like anything, you're, you know, you're going to be able to see it. The print of it. The print. Right. And they said that, you know, she did not go back to her car. Mm-hmm. She went straight from his car into Dave and Buster's after she bought the gun. And nobody saw this gun. No one. Now, I mean, is that possible? Absolutely. I guess yeah. it is. It's possible. But it's, is it, is it it just seems, um, you know, not probable. Yes. Like, you know, and then I think what also is strange that there was cameras in the, like, park- in the parking mm-hmm. lot, but we have no evidence. That suggests that she... Yeah, the police, or if they do, the police have not released it mm-hmm. to show that, yes, she was in this car with this guy getting this gun. I mean, even if you can't see them exchanging the gun, you at least see her getting in the car, mm-hmm. getting out of the car. Right. Walking into Dave and Buster. Right. Like, we have none of that footage. And that's just... So, we're going off of this guy's word. Now, why is that uncomfortable for you, Steph? Like, just go off of Adrian Gilliam's word. Why is going off of his word uncomfortable? He was a felon. Like, so he already had been in trouble with the law. Like, so we're just as I just, I think that's even more uncomfortable <laughs> for me. Like, 
We're just gonna believe what this man say. Believe. He's a known felon. He's a known felon equal liar. <laughs> <laughs> like you are a liar. We're gonna believe you though, and we're not gonna call you a suspect. We're not gonna because we're saying there is no evidence. No evidence. You said you sold her the gun. Therefore, you, you sold her. Therefore, the gun. you did. And that's it. That's I it. am. Therefore, I am. That's it. That's all. <laughs> So, nothing more, nothing less. Right. So this is what I mean, y'all, like that that within itself just brings a lot of doubt it does. to this case because you didn't investigate it. He, he, there was clearly a relationship there. It's quite plausible that he followed her that night and he committed this murder. It could have been. He could have done it. You know, I mean, we'll never know because right. the police didn't investigate this. Because he wasn't a suspect. So that's right. theory number two. Let us know what you think about that. Mm-hmm. Theory number three is that McNair's best friends were in on it. So the Wayne Neely and Robert Gaddy is the best friends that found him at the condo. Right. So that's who we're talking about. And specifically Wayne Neely, he actually went to the condo that morning on July the 5th and walked in and and apparently didn't initially see the crime scene like he was like it just was i guess it wasn't obvious i think he said he may have saw steve lying there but he didn't it wasn't obvious that he was dead yeah and but but anyway when he did recognize he was he like you know sprinted out the apartment and he called nine one. no he didn't call nine one one. no that's what we would think a person would do. Okay. Okay. He called Robert Gaddy. Yes. He called Robert Gaddy, who then drove, I think, about 15 to 20 minutes to his house, mm-hmm. to the apartment. Robert Gaddy gets there. He goes in and sees the crime scene. And then he's like freaking out, like, oh my gosh. They wait 45 additional minutes. We're just going to say that again. <laughs> 45 minutes. Okay. I'm going to give the timeline again. Okay. <laughs> Ray Nilly walks in, sees the crime scene, runs out, calls Robert Gaddy, who takes him 15 minutes at minimum to get to the apartment. Robert Gaddy comes in. He sees the crime scene. He walks out. 45 additional minutes later, he calls 911. Now, I'm not saying that they had anything to do with it. I'm just saying, why 45 additional minutes? Why? And then to Wayne Neely, why did you not call 911? I can even, I do, I think that I can get with maybe you calling your friend first because you're just so in shock. Yeah, you know, we absolutely. all do different things. Like, you're just so, like, what the heck did I just mm-hmm. see? Is mm-hmm. this real? Pitch myself. I mean, I can't imagine, like, seeing my best friend dead. Okay. Right. So I can imagine maybe calling another one of my friends to be like, oh my God, I'm losing it. I need you to get here. But then I feel like I would then hang that phone up and call 911. Right. And so the fact that that didn't occur, just, it gives me pause. I'm not saying that he had anything to do with it. It just gives you like, a just, it's suspicious. It is. It's just, it's not quite right. Mm-hmm. And then for Robert Gaddy to get there and then he goes in and then he doesn't immediately call the police either. I think that also just causes you to go, what? And so the reason why this is like even a theory is because according to, you know, several different, you know, individuals, McNair and Robert Gaddy had a fallout a couple of weeks prior to his death. 
So McNair actually fired, I guess McNair and, and Robert Gaddy were also business partners and they had like a lot of different investments together. And according to McNair, according to, you know, several different people, but one in particular was this one girl, Emily Andrews, who was the best friend of Jenny. Oh, okay. So she was Jenny's roommate. She oh, the one, with the, car, the one with okay. the car. Okay. The whole that whole situation. She said a couple of weeks before the murder, before July fourth, the you know the murder suicide. Um, McNair told her and Jenny that he fired Gaddy because he found out that Gaddy stole thirteen thousand dollars from him. Wow. Yeah. And so, and that was not, I mean, that's from her, but that's also from several other people too. Mm-hmm. Like several other people have corroborated that they were in a fallout mm-hmm. at the time of his death because he stole money. Right. Now, the other reason that this is a, uh, even a theory is because get, because there was a, a safe, safe box, mm-hmm. a money box or, mm-hmm. you know, where you keep your money and mm-hmm. all that, that was in the condo. And everybody knew that this was in the condo and it belonged to McNair. Mm-hmm. And everybody knew that he had lots of money. McNair was known to keep like hundreds of, of bills yeah. on him yeah. all the time. And that safe box was not there when the police showed up mm. to investigate the crime. As a matter of fact, the police have no record of that safe box, safety box ever being, being there in the condo. And they don't find it suspicious because they say, well, we have no record that it was ever here. So we can't just go off of, you know, your word. Like several of the Titans and other people who were in and out this apartment and had keys to the apartment told the police that, hey, this safe deposit box was here and it's no longer here. But they're like, we can't just go off of your word. Do you have any pictures? Do you have any evidence Mm. that it was here? And so that's really the theory. The theory is... They had a fallout over money, mm-hmm. and that caused them to maybe commit this crime. And while I'm like, that's a reason, I guess, to kill somebody. Yeah, for sure. It's motive. Right. But I don't know if it's strong enough. Yeah, I don't know that it is either, but I definitely think it was worth being investigated. Absolutely. And like, the police were just like, when it came to the 45-minute gap, the police were so forgiving. Like, I... Like, no shade against Nashville PD, but seriously, y'all are the most forgiving and believing people out here. I like, mean, listen, I need them to forgive some of my, like, tickets, right. like, what I'm I'm just saying. Just because forgive the fact that I was going a little bit about Right. Thing, you, know? you know, like, they were very, and, and I want to say that these detectives that were working on this case were veterans. Like, they were not rookies. They weren't brand new. They were, they were new. They, they knew what was going on they had experience and they said when it came to that 45 minute gap in in order for them to call the police they were just like well when you're in shock you do crazy you do things. things and and i agree that when I you're too. in shock you do crazy things however 45 we need minutes? To, 45 minutes but we also still need to investigate because while i can't say that I'm sold on this theory. Right. I think this is one of the weaker theories. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it was it was a theory that should have been investigated. Mm-hmm. You should not have been able to conclude your investigation on this murder in such a short period of time. Absolutely. If you had truly went down that rabbit trail and made sure you just picked up every crumb, you know, you enclosed every door. Mm-hmm. You would not have been able to close this in three days. Absolutely like, not. Know, this was 
a theory that should have been investigated. Mm-hmm. You should have, even if you were going to be forgiving of that time gap, you should have at least said, but even though I understand people do crazy things, mm-hmm. we're still going to investigate you mm-hmm. and we're still going to interrogate you mm-hmm. and make sure that we can close all the gaps here. Right. I mean, and the other thing uh that was a like that was involving money with Steve McNair is that he had told one of his close friends that he had made a bad investment and he lost a lot of money. And I mean Steve McNair when he died, I can't remember the exact figure of his estate, but he had money. Yeah. Like and so for him to have made a bad investment that cost him some money, it's kind of like... For him to say it cost him a lot. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of money to us, I mean, a lot of money to me... It's relative, right? Depending right, on who you're exactly talking to. Exactly, who yeah. you're talking to. So, I mean, for him, a lot of money, you know, in my mind, would be a couple hundred thousand dollars. Right. You know, or, you know, even a million. I mean, right. he was worth millions. Mm-hmm. So, like... So I mean, maybe somebody was after him. Right. You just don't know. Yeah. And, again, we won't know. Because the police didn't never investigated that. We can never, never get back to that. All right. So we've talked about the three, the three theories. Let's kind of like review and then. Right. So we, so we have that it could have been what the detectives believed actually happened. That Jenny, you know, shot Steve McNair out of, you know, revenge, anger, and then shot herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the murder-suicide. Then we have the second theory that Adrian Gilliam, the one that sold Jenny, allegedly sold Jenny the 9 milliliter, that he maybe, you know, had something to do with it. And there's not a lot to, you know, because they didn't investigate it. So we don't know. Maybe he, you know, followed Jenny to the condo and then, you know, killed them there. Um, or that he just maybe had more to do with it all around. Um, I know we didn't mention this, Steph, but Mm -hmm. he actually did know some, uh, he knew like either, was it Robert Gaddy or Mm -hmm. he knew one of Steve McNair's friends that they were, I'm not saying they were friends, but they were, they were acquaintances. They knew. So he had a link. So he had a link to them. And then that leads us to the third theory that maybe, you know, Robert Gaddy, um, as a result of you know, him allegedly stealing from Stephen McNair, um, you know, killed him, killed him or had you know, something to do or with had it. something right. to do with it. So that, so that leads us to our last and final point. Yes. So the fourth theory is about Michelle McNair and that is Steve McNair's wife. So there's a lot of mystery there. And I want to say just like parenthetically, like it's a lot of mystery there because Michelle has not, talked about it right she kind of refuses to go into the details of that night um or just like the details of their relationship honestly at least publicly she has not spoke about it and i think that that's really why this theory is even um a thing right so um they believe the theory is that she actually did it so steve and her it was known like we said at the beginning of the podcast that steve was cheating like it wasn't he wasn't trying to hide it Michelle knew about it. You know, it was a thing. And actually, it was said that the reason why Steve became so audacious with his his behavior as far as having the affair is because he was going to end the marriage. And um, when he died, the will that, like, delegated everything that was supposed to happen after he died was missing. Like, no one ever... Well, they said there was a will. 
But I guess the key people saw it, meaning Michelle saw it, and I'm assuming his lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one else saw this this supposed will. Yeah, and and I think the lawyer even said that Steve never signed it. Right. According to him, what he could remember mm-hmm. and recall. Um, he was very vague about it himself. And, mm-hmm. um, and so the only will I think that existed was like a will that really left everything to Michelle. Yes. You know, and the theory is that what she maybe forged this yeah forged this wheel and the way that she went about doing things after steve died and everything was left to her just was very sketch like she kicked um steve mcnair's mother out of this ranch that he built for his mother like it was specifically it was in his name but it was specifically for his mother to stay in and this was back in this the ranch was built in Mississippi. Right. And and that it was a hu- it was huge. It's like yes. acres like a couple, you know, I think it was like 20 or 30 acres of land. It was a very 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 big and his mother lived there. He wanted his mother to live there, but mm-hmm. in this wheel he left everything to Michelle and mm-hmm. Michelle decided to sell to sell the the ranch mm-hmm. and split the proceeds amongst his children. Mm-hmm. Um instead of allowing his mother to continue to live there. Right. And so that really kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not what Steve would have wanted. Um, and so, yeah, it was just very strange. Yeah, very strange. I mean, anytime you have, you know, I, you know, in our, in our community, like, we like to highlight things that we do in our community. And, you know, black men love to take care of their women. Ex- their women. Their mothers especially once they've made it like mm-hmm. that's and he has such a good relationship with his mom that it was just like dang are you gonna kick the mom out right right so you know that was very suspect um and even steve mcnair's mother had her suspicions about his death and um we will credit the podcast that we listened to which we got some information from um but this podcast kind of went into detail about how um there's actually this one guy, I can't recall his name, who kind of had all the suspicion around Steve McNair's death. And he was an ex-police officer. And he worked closely, actually, with Steve McNair's mom mm-hmm. to try to find out what happened. What, you know, there was so much suspicion. And um, eventually she stopped working with him because she got back in good graces with Michelle. Yeah, ele- a, 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 you know, according to, you know, some of the research that's out there or you know some of the documentation that out that's out there she wanted to continue to have a relationship with her grand grandsons Mm -hmm. and in order to do that she needed to have a relationship with michelle and so you know she had to get back in good graces with him with 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 her um but another reason why Mm -hmm. michelle is this this theory exists that maybe michelle had something to do with it Mm -hmm. um is because July the 4th is like really kind of a big deal for was a big deal for Steve McNair. Mm-hmm. He always went home to Mississippi uh the week before and he did a big like it was like a big community party like le- leading up to July 4th and then on July 4th he just like, you know, did it big, had 
barbecue and swimming pools and fishing and like everybody in the whole community was invited not just family Mm -hmm. like everybody was invited and this he did every year without fail he always threw this celebratory you know july 4th experience Mm -hmm. and this particular july 4th they had went down like they always do you know several days before july 4th but michelle really wanted to go back home and Steve was just like, well, I don't really want to go back. Why? Because he always did this event. And she really, you know, begged him to go back home. Um, and he was like, well, you can go back home, but I'm not going to go back mm-hmm. home. And this is according to some of his friends. Um, and uh, she was like, no, I want everybody to go back home. And so he went back home against, like, really what he, his better judgment against what he really wanted to do. So, like... I think, you know, a lot of people that believe that Michelle had something to do with it point to this as one of the the reasons why they think. Because they're like, he would have never even been in Tennessee. Right, what? You're the reason why he was there. You're the reason he's in Tennessee. Um, And then you guys don't even celebrate on July 4th. Like, nothing, I think that they said they didn't even really do anything on the 4th. So it's kind of like, so what was the purpose? What was the rush to get back? What was the rush to get back? Mm. And so... That's another reason. And then I think, you know, a couple of other friends, there's some stories that say that after his funeral, they, you know, Michelle and some of her family went to the club and was celebrating, you know, it all ending and it all being over. Right. And and since someone even spoke about, like, how much money they had. Yeah, saying how much money they received from the, from the you know, from the estate. So, you know, there's, you know, again, I mean, can we poke holes in this? Absolutely. There is no evidence, like concrete evidence to suggest that one, she forged a wheel or created a wheel um, or did anything against, you know, Steve McNair's wishes. You know, maybe Steve really did create this wheel. And, um, you know, who knows? We don't know Uh, that, you know, her, you know, wanting him to come home. This is what friends are saying that Steve said to them. We don't know Michelle's side. I think what Steph said at the beginning of this is a lot of the mystery behind and the theory behind it being Michelle is this mystery because she hasn't talked, Mm -hmm. because she has not spoken to the public, Mm -hmm. given an interview about anything related to his death, Mm -hmm. their relationship, and those final days. Um, And so... You just kind of point to that and you're saying, that's odd. I think it makes us, as people who are just kind of looking into the events, and say, that's uncomfortable. Right. That doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing really to point to her. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I have enough to just... I know, like, I don't like it. It Mm -hmm. doesn't feel good to me. Like, Mm -hmm. when I hear this theory, I'm like, ugh. But at the same time, I don't know if I, I can hang my hat on, yep, she did it. Yeah, and, and the police said they never... I mean, they looked into her, her story, and her... But she had an they alibi. They said she had an alibi, never, so they kind of ruled it yeah, out. Yeah, they, they were able to quickly rule her out. Um, So, yeah, those are the four theories. And in terms of what we believe, uh, what would you say? Or you can say, MD, what you believe. You know, what is your... What do you think? I think that I don't know. I think that while I walk away, and these, and just let me say this, uh, you know, Murder in the Black fans, like, 
we pick the top four theories. There are some other theories that are out there that you can kind of explore, you know, dig and go into the rabbit hole of Steve McNair and his death. Uh, these were the top four that we felt like had the most concrete, you know, evidence behind it, so to speak. But I still walked away saying, I don't know. What I do feel is that I don't, I can't, I don't feel comfortable saying that Jenny did it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think the reason I don't feel comfortable saying that is because one, I don't feel that there was enough investigation into some of these other theories that while there's some holes in these theories and we can point, we can, we can point out the holes because they were not truly investigated Mm -hmm. it leaves so much room for doubt and because you have things like there was no gunpowder on jenny's hands jenny like you know gave these perfect gunshots you know to you know perfect kill shots Mm -hmm. to steve mcnair um she was sending text messages as if she was doing stuff the next day they weren't even supposed to connect that night Mm -hmm. like it's just a lot that just makes me doubt the story I'm not saying she didn't do it. I'm mm-hmm. just saying there's a lot of room for doubt. If I was sitting on a jury, I would not be able to convict. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's kind of where I am. Now, do I have an opinion as to who did it? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. And I really think that we're so far removed from, like, a lot of the evidence that unless somebody just comes out and says, I did it, we will never know. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Steph? Um, absolutely. I, I kind of find myself at the exact same point, like, after I didn't know a whole lot about Steve McNair, like, you know, prior to us researching this case. By the way, shout out to our husbands yes. for giving us this shout case. Shout out to Andre and Joel. Um, yeah. And so as I just began to dig further and further into it, I was like, man, you know, I don't know who did it. I know that it is suspicious. And and that's where I land. I know that I feel like somebody did it. And mm-hmm. I don't know that we can, like... Like you said, hang our hat on the fact that Jenny did it. Right. I don't think that Jenny did it. It's possible, but I don't think that she... So I'm I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I ha- walked away with more questions than answers. So, Steph, we always conclude our stories, our podcast, with what can we take away from this? What is your takeaway? What do you walk away saying? This is what I've... I learned from this case. Right. Um, in a lot of our cases, man, I think from this particular case, I feel like, you know, Steve McNair was an incredible talent. And I I admire that. Like, I look at people who are just, like, country strong, Mississippi tough. Like, this is a country boy. I totally relate to that. But, you know, as Jamal mentioned, like, this guy would play through injuries, dude, mm-hmm. to ensure that his team would win. Like, that's the definition of a, a true athlete. That's the, that he was a trailblazer in his field. Like, had it not been for him, like, I don't know where the state of quarterbacks would be in terms of African-Americans, you know. And so, I just think he was an incredible talent. And I don't want to take that away from him. But obviously, he clearly had some flaws that created an environment for something like this to happen because cheating on your wife like like morally regardless of where you fall on the moral code like that's just not that's not a good thing just get a divorce and then you're free to do whatever you want to do you know and because he was cheating and and he was actually cheating with other women too like it's just like this is all 
suspicious. So we don't really know even how you died because it could be all of these reasons why you died. It could have been a scorned lover. You know, we just don't know. And so I feel like the important message for me is, is you have to be very careful regardless of how famous you get. You're still susceptible to being murdered. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, you know, I, I that definitely to me is the number one biggest takeaway here. And I, as a mother of sons, I always look at these stories, uh, you know, look at cases like these where it seems to be a scorned lover. And I always say to myself, I'm going to teach my sons hmm. this because they used to understand that, you know, there's consequences and they don't always and should not ever. Nobody deserves to be murdered. Absolutely. You know? But, you know, you don't know who you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know. And not saying that Jenny did it, but you don't know. I mean, it could have been another for all we know mm-hmm. lover. We don't know what mm-hmm. what happened. But I look at this, my takeaway, like, kind of, you know, since you said that one, I would go with Jenny. And mm. the fact that, like, she got involved. So, like, whether Jenny did this, like, if we, we go on that angle or mm-hmm. if we go on the angle of she was also murdered and we just don't know who, who murdered both of them. No matter what angle you fall on that spectrum, Jenny got herself involved in what looked to be a sweet deal. Mm. And it ended up not being a sweet deal. Like, you don't get involved with married men. I don't care if the married man is claiming he's going to divorce his wife. Mm. Once you see that ring or once you know that he is married, which she was very fully aware, it's not like, you know, that's something, that's Google. You can Google right. that. Like, he's married. Steve McNair. Michelle. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right there. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it's just, it's there. And you don't get involved with married men because when you do, it kind of goes back to what you said. You mm-hmm. don't know the consequences that come as a result of that. So whether she ended up taking his life or mm-hmm. somebody took their life, mm-hmm. She got herself entangled in a situation that she didn't have to get herself entangled in. And so ultimately, she found herself, you know, in in a set of circumstances that she just didn't even need to be in. So that's my takeaway. And I think, you know, there's probably many more we would love to hear. You know, what's your takeaway? What do you think about this case? Who do you think, you know... um, took took you know Steve McNair's life. Do you think it was Jenny? Do you think it was Adrian Gilliam? Do you think that it was his best friend or maybe his wife? Or maybe you have a whole other conspiracy theory that you have come up with on all your own. Either way, we want to hear from you in the comments. So, you know, let us know what you think. Let us know your takeaway and share with your friends and your family. Absolutely. We will see you guys next week. And I'm kind of excited for next week because we're going to be doing a very controversial case. So we look forward to kicking it up with y'all next week. And we will see you then. All right.